Wow, that was beautiful. Yay! A lot of talent in this church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be studying the first 20 verses in just a minute. Luke 3, 1 through 20. In this time of Advent, we are talking about those who helped bring Jesus to earth. Those whose lives were transformed by God breaking into our world. These people made room for Jesus, giving him community that he could come from, making it possible for him to accomplish what the Lord had sent him to do. Today we're looking at John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, Among those born of women, there is none greater than John. Last week we talked about his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and how their faithfulness to the Lord was an inspiration for we who also wait. John is in the Advent story because he and Jesus are born around the same time. Their lives are purposefully intertwined in God's plan. And as Jesus arrives on the scene to do ministry, it is John who has been chosen to go before him. Both are born to do the work of reconciliation. John's role is that of prophet. In the Old Testament style of speaking truth, he is the bridge between what has already come and the new covenant Jesus will usher in. Now, I want us to think for just a minute about the idea of a prophet before we read the scripture, because we live in different times, and because sometimes the lines can get blurry for us. There are many people today who talk about a lot of things in a lot of forums. They want us to listen. They want us to be persuaded They want us to think like they do or even change our behavior for their agenda. Some might even consider themselves a modern-day prophet, or others may think of them that way because they're deep or because they have something fresh to say. But let's differentiate a minute here. A prophet is not a pundit. A pundit is an expert in a particular subject and is called on to give an opinion based on what's happening. They give context, but they're not really speaking anything new. A prophet is not someone who's simply angry at the status quo and goes on a rant about what's wrong, stirring up the masses. A prophet is not a prognosticator, someone who predicts what will happen on the future based on what they see today. A prophet is not a complainer, someone who wishes life were different and lets everyone know it. A prophet is not a late-night comic, although sometimes they're on spot in their social commentary with their humor. You see, there might be elements of all of these things in the prophet, but it is not complete. A prophet is someone who speaks for God with the intention of making us better people. And drawing us closer to the Holy One. They speak about the expectations that the Lord has for humanity. They've been given the gift and the burden of calling out, of blessing, 
convicting, assuring, truth-telling, helping bring correction to those the Lord wants to speak. I've met very few who see prophecy as their primary gift. Usually it's a gift that's mixed with, mixed with other ones, like counseling and preaching, evangelist, pastor. But we see prophetic voices in the church. We hear them sometimes formally, and sometimes we hear them outside the church in art and politics and journalism and music and writing and every place where God's truth is found. Those who speak for God have a difficult road because we who are recipients of God's message sometimes don't want to hear what they have to say. Sometimes we don't want to believe what they have to say is from God. Throughout history, when God's people have been corrected or the church has needed to get back on track, those have been painful times but also very necessary times. You see, all of us want to hear affirmation and blessing and good things. When we're confronted with something that we've done wrong, it makes us uncomfortable and defensive. It can make us angry. But consistently, God uses those who are willing to speak the truth to those who will hear. Because then the real work that God wants to do in our hearts can begin John has the task of getting the people ready for the Messiah. He was raised for this moment, and he's accepted the assignment. So let's see how he readies the people for the Messiah. Let's read Luke 3, 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea, and Traconitus, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. 
As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Let us pray. Oh God, what a rich word you have given us today. I pray, God, that as we unpack it a little bit, Lord, I pray that there would be something you have for each one of us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. In his thoroughness, Luke lays out the complete context in which John and Jesus began their ministry. When you read the name of the leaders, both governmental and religious, you realize, again, what a complex area of the world this is. The historian Josephus notes that all of these people mentioned have an important stake in the region and the affairs that happen there. Because of Luke's careful notations, we know that John enters his ministry between 27 and 28 A.D., By mentioning these various leaders, some of who will be players later on as well, Luke gives validity to what is happening. This is real life happening in the middle of history. The other way that Luke adds validity to his subject is by quoting Isaiah. John's work was written about from another prophet long before, who wanted the people to watch for the forerunner of the Messiah. This quote tells us what John would be doing which is what a herald would do before a king came for a visit. They would clear the road and fill the potholes, making it level for the king to have a safe and smooth entry into the town that he was going. A wise king visits a place to help those who live in his land. They don't simply make an appearance for the sake of making an appearance. The king, Jesus, has work to do, and someone has to go before him to make sure that everything is ready for his arrival. This quote from Isaiah reminds us that John's work was to fill in the valleys and bring down the mountains so that everybody could be on the same level playing field so they could hear Jesus. So we're going to look at four ways today that John gets people ready for the Messiah. And as we read through, I want you to watch for how John is understanding what the people are needing. He's understanding what they're thinking. He's understanding what's going on in their hearts without them saying anything because he is being led by the Holy Spirit. So the first way that John readies the people for Jesus is by telling them to repent. This is an overarching message that he has come to give. It's a consistent message whenever we read about John the Baptist. Before Isaiah is quoted, Luke tells the audience, John is going around the region of Galilee. He's going around the Jordan. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So let's talk for a second about baptism here. 
In the church, we're used to our understanding of baptism, but that idea is just starting here with John. In the Jewish faith, baptism was done by those who were righteous when they wanted to practice a ritual cleansing, but it wasn't mandatory. It was just for purification. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a convert to the Jewish faith, you might also become baptized so that you would um, enter into your new religion a clean person. Some commentary said, so you would slough off your Gentileness. John here is doing a new thing. He's baptizing people who are sorry for the things that they're doing in their life. It's the decision to repent that brings forgiveness, not the baptism. But like today, baptism is something we do to show our commitment to the Lord. We can hear the harshness of John's words to those who come out to hear his message. He accuses them of being like snakes, intimating that they're trying to slither away because the impending judgment is coming He warns them that judgment is coming, and they can't rely on their heritage of being descendants of Abraham. He tells them that God is going to raise up stones in their place if they don't get it together. He tells them that the axe is ready to be cut at the root of the tree. All of this sounds pretty permanent. Although his style is rough, remember that Luke is telling us this word came from God for these people. This is the message he's supposed to give. It's good also to keep in mind as we read this, that without judgment, there's no mercy. Without honest acknowledgement of sin, there's no need for the grace that God wants to give. John's message might be difficult to hear, but he is actually giving opportunity for people to find a new way to live. He's actually helping them to get right with God. The good news of repentance is that we don't stay in our sin. The Lord is already bringing mercy down by the river. John's preaching is that no one is right before God without repentance. Those who think that they are not in sin, that they don't sin, are so deep in their wrong they can't see it. Those who think that they are fine without confession or examining their heart in light of God's holiness are not going to see the kingdom of God. John here is telling them what people always must hear. It's not a matter of our proximity to the Lord because of our heritage or because we go to church or because we made a decision a long time ago. It's about our heart right now. And where we are in relationship to him. The second way that John gets people ready for Messiah is by telling them how to live. Many have come out to hear his teaching. A lot of people are responding to what he's saying. He's having success because many are coming out to be baptized, but also they are engaging with his teaching. They say, well, then what are we supposed to do? What then? How then shall we live? This is how change happens. It's not simply an agreement of what he's saying. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, boy, my neighbor needs to hear that message. Yeah, that's good. Repentance means we do something different. It means that we turn around and we go the opposite way. 
We get rid of the old things. Receiving forgiveness means that we start doing and acting in ways that God wants us to. This is the fruit that John is talking about. The changes that John recommends are not extraordinary. They're actually not that big of a deal. They're not hard to understand. They're everyday changes that regular people can make. First, he tells them to be generous. If you have an extra one of something, he says, you should give it to someone who doesn't have one. As Christians, being generous is the call of our lives. We know that. This is a very generous congregation. John is reminding listeners, most of us have more than we need. While others are struggling, it's wrong to keep something extra for ourselves. Luke reports that even the tax collectors are wondering what they should do and what God requires. They're told to have integrity in their work. I think it's interesting. They're so hated. Tax collectors are so hated. But John doesn't say to them, yeah, you shouldn't be a tax collector. Someone's got to do it. So he says, if you're going to do it, do it with honesty. Only collect what is necessary. The soldiers also want to know what to do. They've been extorting people. Extorting here literally means shaking down. Shaking down to get the money out of the pockets of the people. Being mean to those that they are arresting. And John says, treat people with respect. Be content with your wage. You don't need to shake people down. In all of these, it reminds us that the people who are coming to be baptized are being told to stop being self-centered. Because the love of money had caused them to become less than God intended them to be. John's giving a good word here for these people, telling them to give to others instead of always trying to take the advantage for yourself. That's an important word for all of us. Thirdly, to ready their hearts, John points them to the Christ. John's success has them thinking, whoa, hey, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah sent from the Lord. John responds in the way that is consistent with all of his life. He always puts the spotlight back on Jesus. He always tells people, I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. In another place, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the fourth gospel, it says that John himself was not the light. He was a witness to the light. In many ways, this also adds credibility to his claims. Rabbis in those days had followers of their own. John had followers of his own. But he said, I have to decrease and Jesus must increase. A true prophetic voice always points back to God. A true prophetic voice does not seek to glorify oneself, does not care about whether or not you like them. That is not their role, and they understand that. A true prophetic voice always points people back to God. We have to use discernment when people come and they say, I have a word from the Lord. Is it really from him? I do recognize that John's portrait of the Messiah is hard for us to reconcile, maybe, with how we know Jesus to be. The images of an angry Jesus 
are difficult for us to think about. While their styles may vary, the core of Jesus' teaching was also repentance. He brought the kingdom in a way that was perhaps not so much fire and brimstone. It was more loving, but there is nothing here that's contrary to the message Jesus came to give. He taught some very hard lessons about the end of the age, and that is what John is talking about here when he's talking about the winnowing fork and the wheat and the chaff. Jesus taught about a separation from those who will be with him and those who will not. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, John readies people by telling the truth to everyone at all levels of society. In his work, he recognizes that everyone needs God's word, no matter how rich or poor or powerful or humble in circumstance. So he tells Herod, who was the tetrarch over Galilee, that it was wrong of him to divorce his own wife, to marry his half-brother's wife. I think it's weird they have the same name, but I think maybe that's coincidence. I don't know. According to Luke, he also points out other evils that Herod was committing. I think this is good for the people to see, because they have to see that repentance is a universal need. This is part of the leveling that John came to do. Each person gets treated equally in conviction of sin and an opportunity to trust the Lord. John is not afraid of Herod's power. It's interesting that the only person Luke records here who does not respond to John's preaching in a positive way is Herod. And instead of denying it or saying, I'm not a sinner... He simply just shuts up the messenger. He puts him in a dungeon so that he can't speak anymore. Herod's response reminds us that there will always be those who will remove truth if they have the chance. Which is the very reason we need prophetic ministry. Because God is never silenced. As the Tetrarch will once again see with Jesus. And so the people are made ready for the king. John's word makes us ready as well as we celebrate the birth of the Lord. How are our hearts open to the message John was sent to give? John's word stirred the people to respond to God in ways that they had not in maybe a long time. He took away their complacency of thinking that they knew everything there was to know about Yahweh and how he operated. The message of repentance, of living with integrity, of being generous with what we've been given, that's all part of the good news that Jesus came to bring. A larger question is whether or not we recognize those who are sent from God in such a way that we're open to what they have to say to us. As a church, are we open to being led by God's very spirit and not just doing things the way that we've always done them? How do we respond to those who bring God's truth to us when we don't want to hear it because it's too hard for us and we don't want to change? Do we ask, what then shall we do? Or do we remove the truth from our line of vision? 
so we don't have to deal with it. This Advent, it's an important time to receive anew the word which came to live among us. So may we each continue to have ears to hear God's truth. Let us pray.